You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. This is the No Doubt About It podcast. No doubt about it. And now your hosts, Christy and Mark Runcetti. All right. Things are getting serious. Now. They are getting serious in here. The, you know, our guest today is a guy uh, that when we started this podcast, he's one of the people. We had a, a list of about 10 names. Mm-hmm. And Sean Willoughby was on that list. Yep. Yep. He and is now ha- it's more needed than ever. Yeah, so. Oh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, so Sean is the president of the Albuquerque Police Officers Association. Uh, your union is the one that looks after police officers. No one sees what's happening with cops more up close than you do in every way. So we're going to hit you with about every question we can think of. Yes. You keep the questions coming. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I love um, just being a part of the conversation. I think that there's a lot um, that folks that live in this community don't really even know. Yep. Um, and we unapologetically represent uh, the brave men and women of the Albuquerque Police Department. That's that's what we do, and we're proud of it. And we're proud to support you know the APOA and, and everything that you guys do and police officers across the state because you guys are so important. It's something that when we went through our campaign, you and I talked – uh, we talk to officers all over the state. What you do, I think, is so important. And, and do you feel, just kind of jumping right in here, do you feel like, do you feel appreciated? Be- because for us, we see what you guys do, and we're like, my goodness, we are so thankful. But mm-hmm. as a group, do you feel appreciated in this state where we are right now? Uh, I think that's a, a complex question because, you know, when we're out in the public, we feel appreciated. We know that the community, by, by bar and large, they support the Albuquerque Police Department. They support law and order. They support law enforcement. So for those that we serve, we feel supported. But for those that we work for, we don't always feel supported. For you know the, the legislature and the governor and the mayor of, of this community, I, I can say that your officers – um, don't feel as supported as uh, they should in this community. But from the public, that's why we get up every morning and we do what we do. Okay, so let, let's get to a, a broad sense of, of what it looks like right now to be a police officer in this state, and, and especially in Albuquerque. For people who don't know, is it as difficult as it ever been? Is it getting better? Where are we? Uh, I think it's just as difficult as it could have ever been. In the city of Albuquerque, which is what I can really speak to, um, you know, these officers are miserable. I mean, they're, they're just miserable. I mean, most folks don't understand the, the gravity of the administrative burden placed on police officers and this department as it relates to the DOJ consent decree. Um, you know, our, it's frustrated on both sides of the spectrum because, you know, if I, if I tackle somebody on a field filled with pillows and it is the most, I mean, you could play soft music to that, Nobody gets injured. This is a bad guy that committed a felony. That tackle is going to take me out of service for the remainder of the day. Right. That is going to cause a six to seven hour investigation. Detectives have to come. We have to separate officers like criminals. They're out of service. And in an area command where you maybe have, if you're lucky, six officers working today in this particular area to have four of them completely closed off in their cars um, pending an investigation for a whole lot of nothing, uh, it it really wears an officer down. 
So how did the, can you explain how we, so we got here about what, back in 2014, when when there was the shooting of, of James Boyd in the foothills that ended up kind of launching the DOJ coming here, basically overseeing what happens at APD. But we're nine years later. And if you look at the numbers in everywhere where the DOJ comes in and oversees a police department, one thing, there's one trend line that's clear. Crime goes up. Oh, it's yeah. just it just goes up for some of the reasons you're talking about. Officers are pulled out of the mix. Why are the, why is the DOJ still here? And, and who where does that button need to be pushed to get them out of here to allow APD to do their job? Well, I, I think the DOJ is a scam. It, it hasn't benefited any community that they've ever been to. Uh, you have a bunch of, you have bureaucrats that are all attorneys that have never done law enforcement. I doubt they've ever been in a, a physical altercation in their life coming into a profession they know absolutely nothing about with an agenda and ideologies that may or may not work. And they're just throwing stuff at the wall um, until the poor agency can kind of figure it out. And then they have this cottage industry monitor who was a police officer like in 75 coming in with his doctorate degree to hold them accountable. And he still gets paid as long as they're, they're not performing and paid very well, like millions of dollars, like millions of dollars a year. Yeah. What a scam. I'm in the wrong profession. Yeah. We should all be police monitors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, so, I mean, it's an unrealistic expectation. A lot of the goals and aspirations that they have in our consent decree, in my opinion, are unrealistic. Asp- their aspirations. We don't possess the staffing to do it. Uh, they've had to over-civilianize. They've hired so many civilians to do police jobs that it's absolutely egregious. I think the trigger pull is just having a real conversation with the judge and the city of Albuquerque standing up for themselves and saying, we physically don't have the resources to comply. We have to change everything, but they don't want to do that because they're close to compliance. So you have to be in compliance, which is 98% compliant with a particular paragraph of the consent decree, which is 244 paragraphs. You have to be 98% compliant for two years to graduate to self-monitoring, which means that now we monitor that paragraph ourselves. The monitor doesn't monitor that paragraph. So for the city of Albuquerque to stand up and say the truth, which is we don't have the staff, we don't have the resources, we cannot perform to this level, they're going to continue down this destructive path that hurts our community, hurts our police department, um, because if they restart everything, they have to start their compliance track for another two years. So they will have to be 98% compliant in their new policy, and in the meantime, go to war with DOJ and the monitoring team. And just this whole process will last another 10 years. So strategically, politically, I think on that side of the table, they're like, we're not going to touch it. We've made good progress. We're just going to keep going and we're going to make the progress. And hopefully one day a butterfly will come down and the DOJ will go away. That's, I think, the plan that they're on. I mean, do you have any estimation on how many of those paragraphs you guys have mastered and like how long are we looking at? Uh, I think that we're we're over 50 percent in self-compliance. Um, we're still being hung out of self-compliance for the use of force, which is the only reason why they're here. Right. And I, I think it's funny because um, I get chastised all the time because I talk a ton of trash about the DOJ. But if you think about it, the year before DOJ came here, they were here because the Albuquerque Police Department was involved in, I think it was 14 officer-involved shootings over the course of, I think, two to three years. Last year, in 2022, we had 19 officer-involved shootings. So that has not reduced the number of officer-involved shootings 
things in any way, shape or form. No. And I would say, and I represent these officers. I would say a lot of those shootings didn't have to happen, Mark, because the, the policies in the city of Albuquerque police department, the use of force policies are so atrocious. Yeah. They're so handcuffed. Okay. So we got to talk about this. You've like, got to talk to it. Cause, cause you see, we see it as, as citizens all the time. It looks like people who are committing crimes are more emboldened than ever. They are. Okay. So then what does the DOJ's involvement here and their policies being forced on officers? How does it make it more violent and not less? Well, because I mean, officers have, um, you know, I talk about it in a real simple way. We, we used to have a trigger, right? Like I was, I, I came up through the police department. We were polite and professional with everybody we came in contact with, but I was going to ask you to get out of the car. I was going to tell you to get out of the car. And then I was going to make you get out of the car. And that's just the way that we worked. Well, we have, I can show you video where these guys are asking people to do something armed with a gun in the middle of the street for over an hour. They're trying to CIT. They're trying to deescalate. They're 100% focused on deescalation. They're trying to talk people into handcuffs. And when you take away their ability to use less lethal force options, um, then you escalate situations into a lethal force encounter because the options have been minimized. Um, that has changed in the policy. After last year's atrocious 22, you know, we had 19 police officer involved shootings right. in 22. It was directly tied to the to the lack of utilization of less lethal options. Like I can talk about, I mean, we all saw the video of the individual that was walking down San Mateo, broad daylight. He had a knife in his hand. He was obviously having a bad day. Yeah. Maybe he was mentally ill. Who knows? Who cares? It's not our job to, to psychoanalyze this man when we get to the call. Um, but you're not allowed to walk against traffic in broad daylight with a knife in your hand, threatening to kill everybody. When I was younger, we would have shot him with a beanbag as many times as it took. We would have tased him and we got him, we would have got him into custody and we would have taken him either, either to 2,600 marble for a mental health evaluation, or we would have taken him to jail depending on what warrants he had, but not, not today. They have to follow him down the street. They have to talk to him. We're not here to hurt you. We want to help you. And it, what, what happens is that he, he turned around and he, he approached the officers aggressively. He threw the knife at them, and they were, they they fired a right. weapon, and, and they killed him. That didn't need to happen. Like if the officers were allowed to use the weapons that they have and that they've been trained to use, a lot of these situations wouldn't escalate to that situation. And that's what's really frustrating. So that is a, a small change that has happened over the last 12 months. I don't think the change goes deep enough, but the use of force policy change that in certain circumstances – um, the officers are allowed to use their tools without the fear of getting fired or having an unauthorized use of force. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you have an, an unauthorized use of force in the city of Albuquerque Police Department, you're most likely going to get fired. Right. Well, and OK, so obviously we've seen crime go up in Albuquerque. OK, and and I talk about crime a lot. I talk about it on the podcast a lot. I talk about it on Twitter a lot. I'm, I have two, you know, we have two young daughters that are now we're governing every little thing they do because of how much the crime has even increased in our, even in our areas. Right. Oh yeah. So no gas station run. There's no going to the grocery store once it gets dark. I mean, we have all these rules as a family, right? Because we've seen the spike. So talk to us about the reality here of, are we just letting shoplifters run out and do their thing? Are we allowing just criminal like behavior? Are the cops 
just backing off? Or is that a misconception of what's actually happening? Are we just low on officers? Like, what's the deal? It's a compounding problem, right? So for instance, if you go five years back, we had, we carried around a card. I have a picture of it. I can show you. It's called the McClendon card. Part of the settlement agreement within the DOJ, there are parties, a part of that agreement. So individuals that, that want to speak on behalf of you, right? The community, people that live here that actually work in this community, the ACLU, Albuquerque Forward, and the McClendon subclass, those are parties to the consent decree. So the McClendon subclass, their mission was to prevent officers to do broken windows theory. So low-level misdemeanor crimes that was, were not arrestable. You could cite them, but you couldn't arrest them. So officers would carry around a card, um, all over the place that uh, knowing that they were not allowed to arrest on these 27 misdemeanors. Um, if they did, then they were in trouble for violating McClendon. There's a McClendon policy in our, in our police department that requires you to treat low level crimes a certain way. We have jail diversion. I mean, th- this whole entire police department is, is, I mean, they're not really focused on what we need to get the streets back, which is broken windows theory policing. Um, Broken windows theory policing started in New York. It's the only police concept that's ever been proven to work. We don't do that in Albuquerque. So your police officer has to deal with, well, is it worth it? Right. Did he, I mean, he stole, he stole $80 worth of stakes and he's running. Am I going to go chase him and now get into a use of force? Is, is it the threshold of misdemeanor? Because these officers are getting pulled into internal affairs and held like financially responsible for violating these policies on a regular basis. Um, it, it's just, it's just, that's a tough way. It's, to, tough ho- way to it's do a your horrible job. way to live. The officers in this community are 100% handcuffed. Crime is not going to come into line unless these officers, they let the kitty gloves off and these guys go in and attack crime. So what does that mean that in, and when we, everybody around here wants to know who do we blame? Where, where does this go? And if you give me a crib sheet of just like, okay, here, here's what I would do. If I could wave a magic wand and, and, and you've been a cop for a long time, mm-hmm. you know what the system is like. You know what the prosecutors are like. You know what the judges are like. You know what the legislators are like. Where does the wh- Where can we direct our frustration with crime? I believe um, – I tell people this all the time. You know, I saw 12 really pissed off people change the course of the city of Albuquerque forever. And these were parents – of uh, police officer involved shootings that were justified, but you talk to a parent that it doesn't matter, right? This is a tragic situation. They were wronged. They're the, the, the number one person in their life. Their loved one is no longer with them. And I saw the dedication in those 12 people to show up at every city council meeting. They were at every single press conference. They were, I, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And they changed the course of Albuquerque forever. And what the city needs to do is they need to get motivated and they need to start paying attention and they need to engage. They need to go to city council. They need to like, I'm, I'm dumbfounded that we have this nine year long consent decree that has cost us million. I mean, a hundred million dollars. If you were to total it all out, it's destroyed crime in Albuquerque. It's destroyed our police department. It's destroyed the morale of police officers, but yet there's not one group at the table that represents this community. Not one. 
So there wasn't even a group of community personnel that were able to get an attorney to go and represent what they're going through as community members. Everybody at that table has an agenda. The ACLU has an agenda. Albuquerque Forward is the ACLU on steroids. And you have the, you have the Amiki subclass, which are just worried about mental health and homeless people being left alone and being able to pitch a tent on your sidewalk. I mean, at the end of the day, there's nobody at the table that represents this community in an aggressive way. And I don't, and you would hope our elected leaders would be those people. And they're, oh not. yeah, they're not because they're, they're politicians. Like the elected leaders have bases and people that, that get them elected. And, and it's not going to be, they're not going to go against the grain, right? Like they're not going to do it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the only way to get your elected leader to go against the grain of his base is to put so much damn pressure on him, he has no other choice. Well, and, that- I, and I, I, we're just watching, I'm sure you are too, the most recent uh, banter between our mayor here and the governor. And it feels like everybody's blaming each other, right? They're, oh, yeah. She's blaming him. He's blaming her. It is wild, right? When we watch this, you saw those two go at each other over the gun thing. All of a sudden, Keller's like, look, uh, I think it's crazy what you guys are doing in the legislature. You're not doing anything. Governor's like, what are you talking about, brother? And then all of a sudden, they're going. They're like fighting. And then Torres comes in from the top rope, and they're like, by the way, you didn't prosecute anybody, so why don't you sit down? Like, when you saw that, were you like, what's happening here? No, it's just typical New Mexico. I think it's a great window into what we deal with every single year at the legislature. This is politics in New Mexico. And it's a shame that it takes such a, a serious issue to bring light to the dysfunction of this state. But like uh, every time I go to the legislature and I lobby for common sense stuff like presumptive health care for police officers that get heart attacks on duty, um, like I am – I walk out of that building thinking this is why we're number one at every bad li- every bad list on the planet because – there's nothing that gets, that really gets done. Like any real crime legislation gets killed in its first committee Mm -hmm. or it doesn't get introduced. And the, the shenanigans that go on just to get something passed are absolutely ridiculous. Like it's, it's a joke and it's great to have this joke displayed on national television because it is a joke. Well, and I mean, I think, you know, we're kind of watching and the thing that we keep preaching over and over and over is you know, now there's this burst that they're putting out there. We're going to arrest more criminals. We're going after people with warrants and all this stuff. Right. So they put in the paper this past weekend, there's been 150 arrests so far. We're going after these people. My question is, is okay. So great. We put all our officers out there. We pull these people in. How long do they actually stay behind bars? My whole career, I've been a cop for 20 years. Uh, We were told, you know, you're going to beat the conviction, but you can't beat the handcuffs. Right. Like it was all about taking them to jail as many times as we had to. I, I arrested an individual that liked to burglar homes seven times before he went to prison. And, and this, this it, was 10 years ago. Now, yeah. is this judges? I mean, are you saying that the judges just are not holding them the whole the line? The, New Mexico has a reputation and we, we are weak on crime. We're weak on crime. We always have been. It's been that way for a very, very long time in this state. Uh, we used to be at a point where the jail was at max capacity. They couldn't handle any more people because we kept on arresting the same people and it was a revolving door of justice. Um, it's absolutely, it's absolutely egregious and it used to be disheartening. You know, we would say before the paperwork's dry on your report, this guy's going to be out of jail, but we didn't care because he needed to go to jail, Mm -hmm. right? We would go and we would arrest him again as a detective. I would hold warrants, right? I would arrest an individual on uh, a residential or commercial burglary. And 
I would send them to jail and then I would do cases, other cases on them. And I would hold different warrants so that when they were, I'd get a phone call that he's getting released. I'd pick him up at the door and rebook him with a oh new warrant. Oh my gosh. With yeah. a new warrant. Yeah. And I, I would, we did that strategically to try to keep him off the streets because when that guy was on the streets, my burglary numbers went up by 10%. Right? I, and, yeah. And I just, I guess that's what I'm confused by is I feel like. Why? I don't understand why we let these repeat offenders back out, especially when we're seeing things like, you know, this recent arrest of this guy that was arrested um, in connection to the 11-year-old boy who was shot at, in the isotopes. He now has been let out, is my understanding. One of them has. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'd love your take on that because, you know, do you have an opinion on that? Uh, my opinion is only my opinion. I don't know anything about why, but I mean, it seems to me maybe he's working with the DA. Well, and it is, it is the D they did. They, they're the ones who backed off holding him. Right. I mean, yeah. So this was not a situation where the judge was approached by the DA and the DA said, no, you got to keep him behind bars. The DA said, right. no, 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 no. That's okay. We're good. What? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, I mean, I there, yeah. there's probably, you know, I mean, Sam's pretty aggressive, so I, I don't, you know, this particular case is is a headline case, right? Like they violated the Second Amendment for it, right? So exactly, like nobody's going to mess around with this case. I, there's got to be a reason. Okay, that's that, in my opinion, there's got to be. But a again, reason. okay, let's go back to the original question I had though: is why do we? Why are we so soft on crime? Why? Uh, I think our laws have been established. I mean, the laws in the state of New Mexico are soft on crime. They've just always have been like you have, I mean, but, but you see this in, when you talk about the legislature, you go every single session, there are literally dozens of of bills that that don't ever get out of committee. No, they don't. And it's funny because you, you see that stuff firsthand and and you were talking before we, we got on, you know, and started recording is that if everybody knew the kind of good bills that get a bullet put in them, they'd Mm -hmm. be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were talking about it earlier. I actually, um, and I wouldn't normally speak on this bill because I I'm, I'm there to represent police officers. So I was in committee and I heard, um, they were trying to do a weapons enhancement for individuals that are drug dealers. Like if you get, if you're a drug dealer and you have a weapon on Mm -hmm. you, there's an enhancement and you get more time and this, Mm -hmm. that, and the other thing. And, uh, the bill died in its first committee, but it was so common sense. I was like, yeah, like this is probably going to be good for law enforcement. Like this is pretty common sense to me. And then the uh, the advocate against the bill, I think they were the ACLU, actually got up in testimony and said, "Well, drug dealing is a really dangerous job." Yeah, I saw that clip, <laughs> and I, I was like, "What? I it's was not like, a so, job." Yeah, yeah. And so and now we're protecting the 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 criminal. Like, let's let the drug dealer have yeah. his weapon. And then the union came out of me. I was like, well, maybe it is a job. Do yeah. they have workmen's, oh my do they have workmen's comp? Yeah. Are they represented fairly? Like, Are absolutely they paying taxes? Ridiculous. Yeah. That's the kind of ignorance that happens up right. there. Yeah, wow. no, that is, it is terrifying. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, about what, what's going on right now in Albuquerque for numbers. There's always been a lot of... Uh, kind of dispute on how many police officers do we have on the street versus what the city claims? How many more do we need? And, and no matter what that number is, could you even recruit them right now? The answer is no, I don't believe you could recruit them. Um, the city of Albuquerque, one thing that I, I always give credit where credit's due because I'm, I'm not a political being, you know, when Tim Keller got elected, he made an agreement and he made a commitment to support law enforcement the way that he could. And that meant financially. So the Albuquerque Police Department, they make um, 
significant pay raises underneath Keller. So, uh, you know, we still have work to do to be competitive within this region. But today we're the top paid law enforcement agency in the state of New Mexico. Our pay incentives have gotten state police incentive, uh, incentivized the legislature to give them more money. Our pay package has incentivized Bernalillo County to make more money. So at the end of the day, excuse me, at the end of the day, it's not the money. And we can always have more money and we still need to make steps into, I mean, we need to be compared with Colorado Springs. We need to be compared with Phoenix. We need to be compared with the Southwest region of the United States because the the profession of policing is going that route. They're pulling from outside of the state. Um, everybody knows these kids aren't stupid. You know what I mean? They have Google. They can, they know what's going on in Albuquerque. Like even if you wanted to be a cop out of all these agencies that are looking to to get police officers, like what makes you come to Albuquerque? The yeah. the one with the consent decree for the last decade. No, thank you. I'll go somewhere else. Uh, so that the recruiting is an absolute challenge. What do we need? Depending on, I mean, if we're taking the same administrative burden that we have right now regarding our policy and investigative capacity and everything that we're doing, all the dumb stuff we have to do right now because of the consent decree, you need 14 to 1500 cops to be effective. And how many I, do we have? I on believe the you have less than 850 right now on the streets, less than 280. Wow. So, I mean, physically on the streets, police officers, I mean, I get calls from cops they're like, there's only, there's only three of us today in an entire area command that's occupied by over 150,000 residents. And what should that be? Oh, man, I came on. We were in squads of 13. And the other squad that was our sister squad had 13. They, we were all over the place. So, But what's happened is we never really recovered from the 6th area command. If you remember back in the day, Ray Schultz created the 6th Area Command. It was the southwest, the west side, and they covered north and south, and then they created the northwest substation. And in order to create it, you you can't just grow these police officers. You have to take your resources and man that substation, which that was really the beginning, the, the beginning of feeling as an officer that our staffing was not adequate. And ever since then, it's just gotten progressively worse. I mean, it's bad. We, I believe we have less officers today than we had in 1989. Jeez. I have lineups from 1988 that uh, we have a, either the a very similar number uh, or, or a little bit less today. And we've grown by, I don't know, 150, 200,000 residents since the 80s. Right. So – there is definitely challenges um, that that face Albuquerque. Recruiting in law enforcement is one of them, but it's not like our profession does a really good job. Like, you know, I mean, you've got young kids. No. Uh, they have no idea. If you go to a high school, if you go to El Dorado High School or Sandia, uh, I guarantee you nobody's ever had a real conversation with these kids to try to change the narrative. And they have no idea that uh, a rookie police officer makes almost 80, 85 to 90 grand a year. And if you add overtime on that, he's breaking 100,000. Um, so, I mean, it is a viable career, but nobody's communicating that story. We've done a really horrible job at, at counter countering the narrative. Well, in the narrative since, especially since the, the George Floyd issues and things like that, you know, you're talking about a time where, where, where the recruiting has maybe, and the recruiting effort has stepped back when the when the magnifying glass has been intensified on top of you. So that has worked together to make it even worse. Oh yeah. And all police departments have gotten, they've gone so woke, right? If you look at the recruiting video for the Albuquerque police department, it looks like we're, 
we're driving a, a mountain bike in a winery along the Bosky, and we're just smiling. And you've got these young, like beautiful police officers, and they're just having a great day. That's not what motivate. That wouldn't motivate me to be a cop. I wanted to jump out of a helicopter with a gun and go after bad guys. I looked at the video and I was like, I want to do that. And that's why I was, that's why I became a police officer. So their advertising is incorrect. I don't believe they're bridging the gap. There's a million ways to do it. We could create a, a mobile fats, like the, the fats um, system is that shoot, don't shoot video where you have all the top technology and they, they, they put you through a scenario and you got to make a real decision. Yeah, yeah. It's stressful. It's, it's a bunch of fun for us. We love it. But for somebody who's not, never Thinking been involved it, yeah. in it, it's stressful to make that decision. Oh, yeah. And nobody gets hurt. It's good, clean fun. It's good, clean stress. But you could put that on on a mobile van and go to high schools and let these kids get, go through this situation. And now let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Why'd, you actually, make, why'd you make that decision? Because yeah. you're going to jail. Well, well, yeah. Because, yeah. And, and well, also, if you get where we are with video games and everything else, they're like, they think they know. Like, you think you know? Okay, let's find out if you really know. Yeah. yeah. They, they find out how, how hard it really is <laughs> Absolutely. to make that split-second decision. And the way that the human body works and the mind works is a lot different than you would think in your mind. So, you know, I just don't think that our profession in general is really bridging that gap. We're so worried about the now, you know, how many, how many do we have in the Academy right now, but we're not worried about the future. And if things keep going the way that they're going, we're not going to have a future. Like they're, you're going to be so understaffed. You're going to be policed by civilians or robots. Right. Yeah. Well, and I actually did one of those SWAT trainings when I was a reporter and they put me in like the full armor and we went into an abandoned building or whatever, but it was all set up and I had to go behind one of the, the cops, you know, and I was so scared the whole time. I was scared. Oh, yeah, I know great. it's. I know DOE. It. It's the big green monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it great. was so freaky at the time. But I do think that if you were, um, you know, if you were inspired to help fight the crime physically, you know, that that would be something. You know, that that would be a good tool. I would think to recruit well, well, and, people. And, but yeah, you see it in the military too, right? I mean, this whole thought process that that we're going to show you some, you know, rainbows and unicorns video. It, it, uh, the reality is, you guys have a tough job, and you put yourselves in danger to do it as we do on a military sense. So stop acting like it's something else. We yes. want tough people that are going to go out there, enforce the law and yeah. do what has to be done. Right. And speaking of that, like, okay, so we're low on cops. We're, we're seeing crime go up as a, as just a, uh, an everyday resident here, right? Uh, you know, we had a pretty significant home invasion a while ago and not in this house, but in another house. And I learned a lot from that home invasion because when the co- officers did show up, Um, they were like, you did a lot of things good and you did a, you did a few things that were really dangerous and I would not recommend those things again. And I learned a lot in the, in that moment from that office, from the two officers that were in my, in my living room that day. And thank goodness we got, we were okay. You know, the guy was trying to get quick cash or something, you know, I don't know. They thought they figured he was into maybe buying drugs or something to that degree. And so, um, we were not harmed, but I was scared to death waiting those 11 minutes for an officer to show up. And so what are, what are your recommendations for us now as citizens of Albuquerque? How, what do we do? Like, how, how do we stay safer? I mean, I'm, I'm locking my doors. We got, you know, private security. We don't go to certain places at night. I mean, right. are there any uh, other you, recommendations? You're making, you're making good cognizant decisions for you and your family. But my only recommendation is that, you know, I'm, I'm very realistic when it, when it comes to this particular question. I've been asked this question before and you have to train and you need to get a gun 
and you need to learn how to fight and you need to have a mindset of survival because 11 minutes is too long. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you are going to be in a situation where you have to defend yourself and your family and you need to be able to do it and you need to be able to be competent doing it. So, you know, anybody... Um, as messed up as Albuquerque is, even when we were fully staffed and crime wasn't so bad, um, you cannot have a, a the, the mindset of, you know, the government is here. They're here to help. Like you have to be independent. You have to take care of yourself. And and part of that educational process is knowing the right way to do it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, if somebody kicks in your front door and you shoot them as they stand, you're fine. But if you run outside into the neighborhood and you start them blowing, them, <laughs> right. blowing yeah. rounds down the street, you're going to go to jail. Right. Right. right? right? Yeah. Like you have the right in this country and in this state to defend yourself, your life, your property and your livestock because New Mexico's cool like that. <laughs> um, I mean, at the end of the day, you just have to have you have to have a, a fight mindset and you need to take care of you and yours. Well, that's and that's, that's, that is no, what I did. I had a gun at the, and that's what I did that night. Good. You know, you know, but still, it's just kind of scary when you've got kids. And yeah. and not everybody is uh, is pro gun, you know. But it, you know, we we're hoping that somebody's going to help us in that situation, right? And like you said, maybe those days here at least are. I've, I mean, I'm a, my mother in law, an old lady, born and raised in New Mexico. She um, she lived in the Haines and um, Aspen area, which is around Constitution San Mateo. Uh, she had a, a renter move in next door that was just terrorizing the neighborhood. Just loud parties, young kids, gang types, like drive-bys, like shooting in the air. I think I did like four surveillance camera installs for little old people in that neighborhood that were just terrified. And I told them, just continue to call the cops, continue to call the cops. I mean, I'm the president of the union. I have tons of friends on this department and I couldn't get them out there. I couldn't get any bait stuff out there. I couldn't get any knock and talks. I couldn't get any field briefings out there. And it wasn't until a massive party and cops got called that she took, I think, 10 rounds through her her house um, that that anything was really done. Now they were lickety split the next day with, you know, closing the doors and getting these guys evicted. But how dangerous is that? My mom moved away. She'll never live in New Mexico again. Like Mm -hmm. it was absolutely so disappointed. So is that, how frustrating is that for you and your officers? When you think about the, the scenario you just outlined, which is, which is, you know, because of things like the DOJ involvement in APD and, and because crime has been, where we have a you know revolving door on criminals that that don't stay behind bars, it looks like now more and more unless your life is in danger, you don't even bother calling APD, and, and not because they don't want to solve the problem, but because they just can't. Well, you know, it's that's a that's a a, a deep blue tactic, Mark, and yeah. that's been used all over the country. Yep. Um, you know, if you don't, if you're frustrated as a citizen. It's the fifth time the propane tank's been stolen from my RV in the in the or my batteries or something like that. Last time I called the cops, it took four hours for them to get here to just take a report. It's not worth it. Well, what happens in that in that essence when when it's so cumbersome to call and report crime and to call and report for your insurance company that you stop doing it, your crime rate goes down. That's exactly what's happened here. It's exactly what and they're like. That's property what they, crimes under control. That, that oh. is, un, it's unreal. Yeah. It's, it's not reported. And, and you watch the journal, and the journal's like, "Yep, yeah, property crimes down." Yeah. <laughs> Are no, you joking not. me? We just don't report it. Nobody reports it. But how? You know what? Like, if you're a business owner, if you're a business owner, you don't report crime because if you report crime too much, your insurance goes up. You or you lose it. 
Mm. Or they say, you're in a high crime area. Albuquerque's crazy. We're no longer covering you, right? Like, mm-hmm. so a lot of people are cognizantly deciding whether or not it's imperative or important to report the crime. And we see this, we've seen it for years, but it's a really hard aggregate to get your hands on real data. Yeah. Right. Like it's really hard to, to get that information, to prove it and be like, no, your crime's not down. You idiot. This is what's going on. Uh, we know it's going on, but it's hard to prove. How frustrating is it to you to watch the Albuquerque police department chief of police operate the way he operates and the PIO operate the way they operate? Well, I, I think that the, um, I will say that the one frustrating point is, is that there's always these little spats, right. That are going on on Twitter. I think that that's childish and unprofessional. I believe he came after me. Oh, did he really? After I talked about a crime. (laughs) They did have a little bit of a tangle. He he came after me (laughs) saying, cause I was like, I called out mayor Keller cause it was, you know, a, a smash and grab at our grocery store in the middle of the day. And I'm like, you know, are you going to do anything? Like, are, what do we have any plan? And the PIO came back and said, sounds like to me that you're against cops. And I was like, that's the, that's like, the what? frustrating part. I'm like, right? I didn't go after a cop. And you know, you've been a reporter a long time. Yeah. You know what they're doing. Oh, I know. They're framing the argument so that you're the bad guy. Of course. Because they can't deal with the truth, right. which is, this is completely out of control. So they... They emboldened themselves by accuse you of talking bad about hardworking men and women of the police right, department. Exactly, which, which I every, wasn't. Every cop that works here sees right through that. Like right. we all know that it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so the back and forth is just ridiculous. I, I wish that they would be um, – I just wish they would be really bluntly honest, which is really hard for a politician because the boss is the boss is the boss and the mayor's the boss, right? right. So right. I've never seen – I've been a cop for 20 years. I've never seen some epitome of leadership in charge of the police department, right? I think Mike Geyer was the worst police chief I ever worked under. I think that Gordon Eden was probably one of the most decent humans I had the pleasure of of working for and working with. Um, Harold is, you know, we fight and we argue, but Harold never doesn't give me a seat at the table. And for that, I'm appreciative. Like, I don't, I don't really have to, I don't like, a lot of the stuff that goes on. I don't think that there's been a single leader in the police department or somebody in the past that I could say, you know, that's the guy that would fix it. The reality is from my perspective, like, um, Harold always has an ear open for me. He'll always listen. He'll try to work on the, it's really easy. Like I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to help you go ahead and sue me or let's work on this one. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least we know we don't waste our time. Right. Well, that's actually, Encouraging to hear that he does give you a seat at the table. Tell me about, let's just talk about that role real quickly. Like, what is the right balance there then? What kind of, you, do you need John Wayne going, turning back to Keller saying, I'll handle this, brother. You sit down. Yeah, right? No. I don't, right? It, he, it won't work, right? Yeah. He'll be there for two weeks and see you later. Right. Turns out you're, you got to want to spend more time with your family. You know, like, yeah, what, right. so what is the right balance there between, look, I'm going to stand up, tell the truth, look out for my people. And then at the same time, I serve at the pleasure of the mayor. I think the right balance is electing a law and order mayor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when it, when push comes to shove that, that really is the, the linchpin, the, um, you know, it, it, Albuquerque is challenged in this respect, the machine, the beast, I call it the beast, the beast that they've created operates and lives and breathes on its own. Most people don't really understand 
that the authority, they don't have any authority. The chief doesn't have any authority to change policy. Right. He doesn't have the authority to say, you know, Mark, I really understand that situation was ridiculous. We're going to give you another shot. If the IA paperwork says termination, you're going to get done. terminated and yeah. it will be an undertaking like nobody's comprehension to change that, even if it's the right thing to do. So the, 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 the machine that they've created as a part of this process and the system of the DOJ has taken leaders completely out of the mix. Like they, they don't have, they have the ability to, to maybe, maybe delineate between a range of discipline. Um, but they don't argue with IA because anytime they have a disagreement with IA, they have to write a seven page dissertation right. as to why, and then they have to deliver it directly to the monitor. Yeah. So it's a bunch of red tape. I mean, just it's on and on. Of, I'm telling you, like a lot of people think the chief, the chief of police is in control. No, man, he <laughs> could, he couldn't change all the complaints we have with the department. If he, if he tried, he'd right. be out of compliance. We'd be at war with DOJ. It would be a disaster. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So before we get you out of here, a couple quick things here. Uh, you've told us what we can do, you know, personally uh, here. Now, when you look ahead, are you optimistic for where we where we're going with policing, are you pessimistic? Where are you on, on what you think maybe our community, especially here in Albuquerque, but even across the state, what our communities are going to look like within the next couple of years? I'm I'm very pessimistic. Uh, I think that we've lost control of the city of Albuquerque. I have to fight tooth and nail every single year in the legislature with some Yahoo um, that is trying to write a use of force policy for the entire state of New Mexico that mimics Albuquerque. Um, the last four years has been a disaster in the state legislature. I don't think Albuquerque is repairable. I don't think they have the heart. And the truth is the training scar that has been implemented on these officers is so deep. There's not anybody left. There's nobody left from the old time. They don't even, most of the young guys have no idea what it used to be. It's a culture change. That's part of the whole process. But you know, the training scar, we talk about it in policing all day long. You you fight how you train, you train how you how you're gonna fight, right? And you don't wanna have training scars. You don't wanna you don't wanna have scars in your muscle memory and 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 in your training that are that are going to get you killed. And what I see in the Albuquerque Police Department is a giant training scar. And we've gone through almost a decade of this training scar, and your police officers don't know any better. And I think in the future, this is just gonna become the way it is for this department and it's not going, it's going to be out of control inevitably. And I, I think that recruiting is going to be a major thing. Right. Like, I mean, we make okay money right now, but I think that police officers in this country are going to make a whole lot more money because the narrative is so negative. Like if you have talk to your kids, I guarantee you, like everybody talks trash about policing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that. They're so bad. Yeah. They're so this and policing as a profession isn't changing that narrative. They're not yeah. out there having those tough conversations. They have no idea that there's more people killed by sharks in this country than police officer involved shootings. Yeah, I have friends that are educated. I do. I do. I think ask sharks them. are just waiting to kill you. They're, by the way, they are. I know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But that's our domain. The I know. ocean is ours. No, we appreciate you. Now, I, I want to. Chris and I are, are kicking around a new segment on the show. Okay, this is going to be. This going to be our final question. And uh, so, and I didn't clear this with you beforehand, but I want you to give me your best story. If if you got one story to tell somebody, I don't care whether it has to do with police, it can have to do with policing, can have to do with a crazy thing that's happened policing wise, 
but I want you to give me, if you had to sit down with someone and entertain them for a minute or two with your best story, can you give me and give us your best story? Yeah, but my best story is like, um, I'm the son of a drug addict yeah. that died at 39. My little brother OD'd and died at 27, right? Like anybody that thinks that government does anything to help addicted individuals doesn't have a clue. Um, I've overcome a lot in my life. I'm blessed to be a police officer. I'm proud of it. I got five kids. I'm married happily. Um, I work every day hard. I'm building a food truck. I'm a real estate agent. I'm a proud police officer. My best story is, is my life and the things that, that I've overcome and, uh, the kind of father that I am and, and really, uh, putting God first and, and making, uh, making good decisions on behalf of the people that depend on me. Amen, brother. That's, That's good, good stuff. Well, thank you for your time. And, uh, Maybe we think about, would you ever think about a political future? Hell no. <laughs> There's <laughs> no guy. money in it. There's no money. You don't do it for the money. That's, yeah, no, that's no, no way. Well, no, unless you're Joe Biden. Well, then yeah. you do it for the money. I'm way too honest of an individual. Like well, I, I can't do it. So and too. you know how it is. Like you, yeah. have to, you have to walk that tightrope uh-huh. because you can make everybody really happy and everybody else really pissed off. Oh, you got to, you got to be a centrist and I'm totally not a centrist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Well, Hey, Sean Willoughby, president of the APOA. This was a pleasure. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. I'm Enjoyed pleasure it. to be here. All right. Thanks. Sasha. All right. You've been listening to the no doubt about it podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like rate and review. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at No Doubt About It Podcast. No Doubt About It. The No Doubt About It Podcast is a Choose Adventure Media production. See you next time on No Doubt About It. There is no doubt about it.